Hello, welcome to Don't Call Me Exotic. I'm O-N-E-O. I'm a DJ, radio presenter, and promoter. This is the podcast where I invite people in the creative field to come talk to me about diversity, culture, personal experiences of racism, both in life and in their careers. I'd like to welcome my very first guest, the amazing soul singer and songwriter, Amala. Hey! Hi! Hey, Annie, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. I think we're good. We're a bit sweaty. <laughs> it's really hot we're today. We're a bit sweaty. We're a bit sleep deprived. A but bit. I'm glad we're kind of on the same level because... it's. Just, I've got a cup of tea and I've got half a Kit Kat and you have some water. Who who eats half of a Kit Kat? I do. <laughs> They're not even it's that a Kit, big. It's a Kit Kat chunky. Oh, so okay. like it's so, like substantial. It's like a meal. Yeah, it's thick. It's like substantial. <laughs> so when the time is right, I have that. Um, When I was looking at your Instagram... Mm-hmm. It says that you're mentored by Nile Rogers. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's crazy. Can we start there? It's actually crazy. <laughs> Can oh my tell god. me about that? Oh my god. Okay, so um, I was nominated for the Ivan Novello Rising Star Award last Amazing. year in 2020. We are starting this podcast strong. Bam! Sick, man. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's like absolutely ridiculous. Congre- that's, like, congratulations. It, it, it makes no sense in life but no, i'm just here to take yourself. it <laughs> pick up yourself you put in the work you did it oh thank you but um so niall was the person that set up that award with the ivers academy and apple yeah and they gave us different mentors so um a girl called mizey who's amazing she's like wicked alternative soul experimental everything um <laughs> like performer is made is mentored by fraser t smith you have Griff that's been like winning yeah. everything. Wow, she's having an amazing year. She's just incredible, an incredible producer as well. She's mentored by Camille, who writes for like Mabel oh, right, and I Little see. Mix and all that stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's just an amazing opportunity. And yeah, for the last year, mine's been Nile and it's been just ridiculous. Is this like a long term thing? Well, no, it's officially meant to have ended, but in my head, it will Ever? never end. <laughs> will never end as long as i've got his phone number he's amazing he's like the sweetest he okay first he's the sweetest man you could ever imagine he's just like an automatic uncle yeah like first off but then he's just so intelligent you know like i feel like when people think of now rogers they think of like this cool guy with a guitar like Mm. funky fun but he's one of the most intelligent people i've ever met in my life just in terms of the way he thinks how cultured and knowledgeable he is about different people about different ways of living about different ways of being yeah. and how to express that through music and you can you can see that everything he does is so inclusive of everybody wow. and that's what his music is about and he's yeah it's just he's just got so much so much to him and so many layers and yeah it's just incredible to like just be able to ask him a question and for him to be honest and for me to learn about the music industry and all of these things that I'm having to navigate, I guess, yeah. by myself. But yeah. What's it's... the best piece of advice he's given you? <laughs> oh my God. Hmm. I feel like he's quite wise. He's very wise. You feel like you need to write down <laughs> everything yeah, he says. Yeah, he's been doing this for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think what I've realized working with him is that all of the things that like I don't think make me a great like, pop act or like music act yeah. like are the things that are going to help me do well right you know like I, I I didn't ever think this would be my job like I went to uni I did anthropology 
Like I've worked in loads of startups and been mentored yeah. by like an insurance bank and like a news oh. company and like I've just I've just done life, you know, I've just I've lived life yeah. and um all of that is it feeds into my music, but it also means that like I'm very different to a lot of like other artists that I meet who are just wholly creative. Yeah. And they went to performing like arts schools. It, like... Yeah. And it's just like this thing that they're like born to do and it's craziness and it's fun. But for me, like it's just one thing I love to do that I can do mm. and like I'd love to write books and write scripts and and manage charities and yeah. do all this other stuff in life and he just helps me realize that you know actually that's what people want you know they don't yeah. need the same type of person again and again so that's been great a fully three-dimensional human fully <laughs> um so I wanted to kind of know what your background is where you grew up and yeah tell me about your life my whole life yeah my whole 24 and a half years of life okay so i was born in hackney born and raised in hackney which was it's generally like nice very multicultural um my school was had primarily african pupils um and then some cypriot some turkish some eastern european so it was, it was like fairly diverse and like nice experiences to grow up in my dad's from jamaica and my mom's from guyana and my mum's and my dad's family came over basically during the 1960s and Windrush. Mm-hmm. So um, that experience of like migration has shaped the way that they've interacted with art and music and yeah. politics. You know, they went to all the protests on police brutality in the 80s. Wow. You know, my mum was like the first, not the first, but like one of the first, you know, black British Caribbean women to go to university. And all of that knowledge and all of the like books from Bell Hooks and Angela Davis and Marvin Gaye's stuff and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all of that stuff was like in my house. That's crazy. You know, like all the records and all the books and all the autobiographies and I was just very aware at a young age of like history yeah, and like culture and racism and the fact that people would treat me differently because my skin was lighter or my skin was darker yeah. in different contexts and it just made me a, a really like knowledgeable and like inquisitive kid, Yeah, I guess. And um, I grew up... And school was good. Like I, I did. I was sang at school. I was in the performances and formed little bands and stuff, and that was cool. But generally, like I, I did well academically because I really worked for it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I really and you're smart. worked hard. Yeah. yeah. It's important. <laughs> I was like, my parents did not come to this country for me not to get like an education, yeah. not like, no, not to course. do the best. Yeah. So I was always I think, like, yeah, that kind it. of mindset. It's you know I'm oh I was talking to my friend about this I'm I think I'm zero generation because because you know how it's like first generation Mm -hmm. so you would be first generation because your parents came over or would that make me second generation or is it second I think that made me okay so because it doesn't start with zero (laughs) (laughs) I swear this is why I'm sleep deprived (laughs) because I'm talking shit to my friends when I'm no I I think I think think that makes you first generation yeah okay Yeah, yeah It would just start from one, wouldn't it? I think so. <laughs> but anyway, so I'll, like that kind of mindset of you've seen what your family have gone through. Yeah. And you're just like, I can't fuck this up. No. Like they Can gave up everything. everything. Like, and I, I saw my parents be, my mom was an art teacher in Korea. Yeah. My dad was a civil engineer. And then we moved to Canada and I would see my parents get treated like shit mm. by people who, you know, because they couldn't speak English that well. And I mean, we've been there for 20 plus, year, 
like they've been there for 20 plus years now Mm -hmm. i think even like 25 years and their english is still not good like they just don't care Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're just like they bought a house they worked hard they don't really you know yeah it's not their priority to like assimilate like that but when you see your parents go through so much shit and i guess like when you were growing up and you had all the like protesting all of that then within your family then like you kind of have to do the same thing yeah it's 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 really sad because because growing up i mean there's a lot of programs about it now just literally like in the last few months yeah but like like racism in british education system particularly against like west indian kids um and i grew up like with my parents and my uncles and my aunts telling me about the fact that you know they were called educationally subnormal. Nobody expected them to do anything. You know, they were told to go get a job in the local factory, then didn't teach them and sent them to schools that were underfunded and and the teachers were explicitly racist. And there were a lot of things that I was like super, super aware of, like just even sitting in house parties and sitting in dinner tables just full of like black people as a kid yeah. and hearing them talk about these things and then going, but wait, at, like at school, like that happens to like my friend you know, and like making the connection. So school was like a really huge, like politicizing moment for me because I was like, wow, these things that my parents had experienced are like happening again. And like, why can't like these people around me, why why can't people see this? Like, can people see it? Am I just seeing, am I making it up? Like what's happening? Gaslighting. It was was just like, what is happening? Education system is gaslighting. This is crazy. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so yeah, there was a lot of that and that's where it all started. Yeah. So how did you get into music? Mm, my mum put me in piano lessons when I was yeah. eight, but I didn't really practice mm. because it, was, it wasn't that fun. Oh. Like it was like, it was like little ditties. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then it was a bit of classical music and I could play really well, but I'd had no interest in like sight reading. Yeah. So like my teacher would play me and play me a, a piece and I'd just like replicate it. Yeah. But I had no interest in like learning the, like the, the note, theory the and, theory and like the that, notes yeah. and stuff and I, I don't know why it is I think I'd I learn quite differently and I've had to teach myself how I learn best so even mm. in like education my school wasn't particularly good I had to go home and teach myself the curriculum so I did well that's like, wild it, like they my school failed a lot of people <laughs> you know it's it wasn't great they tried but they could have done better yeah you know but in a primarily black school it's like well Forty percent of them are gonna fail anyway, so you know, we'll just concentrate on on these few that will get through to wherever, wherever. Oh my god. Um but yeah, I I didn't really get into that that much. And I think looking back, it's because I couldn't sing. Like you can't sing to classical music. Yeah. You just play it and it's somebody else's composition, it's somebody mm. else's idea. Um And it was like a long time ago. <laughs> like yeah, these do songs you know what were I mean? written. Like, I don't even know what era that was. Like, 18-something. Yeah. It, yeah, it just wasn't fun. So, when I was, like, 14, my aunt left a guitar at my house. Yeah. Um, And it was just, like, at the end of my bed for, like, a year or something. And I was like, well, I'll just pick it up and try playing it. And I learned every Taylor Swift song. Oh, my God. Like, every Taylor Swift song. Because <laughs> they're, like, three or four chords. They're super simple. But like amazing, yeah, like amazing composition. So I was like, wow, like okay, well, let me take these chords and write new songs yeah. on top of them, and that's what I did, pretty much. Even even till now, that's what I did. But yeah, I focused on like my education. So I did A levels, did English literature, history, and psychology. Then I went to UCL and did anthropology, which is like the study of human beings and like mankind. Yeah. 
And then after I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a singer. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We're going to try it. And um, yeah, it's been a few years and... You sold out Jazz Cafe. Here we are. Oh my God. How was the first show back? Amazing. Oh my like, God. I don't even know, like, what, I don't know what's happened to me because I feel like I've grown up. Like, I'm like I'm an actual woman now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm an adult adult now. That compared to when? Like, before, before COVID? pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Basically. I mean, I was playing shows so often. Like, every two weeks I had a show or a support slot or something. Mm. I was super, super busy and I was getting better. But I think the time away. I think sometime last year I was like, I don't want to write any sad songs. Right. I just want to write songs that make me feel good. And I think because... The world's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> because the world's on fire, I've increased the tempo. It's getting a bit more yeah, fun. Yeah, I feel you. I went the opposite. I started doing mixes and it was just like really like slow R&B. Oh, and I was no. like, damn, I'm in my feels. <laughs> like, holy shit. But like... It, vibes. You, know, you it need was, vibes. It was, yeah, it was good. But yeah. yeah it's yeah, interesting yeah, you that you vibes. went the other way. Yeah. I was like... Okay, I need to have fun now. Yeah. So my music is, it's a lot more like um, soul and hip hop driven and like got bits of like disco and funk yeah. and all like the music that like, yeah, of course, and I was there. <laughs> and like all of the like amazing music from the 70s that is just epic, you know, yeah. and timeless and political yeah. and important, but clever and catchy. Um, so I think all of that helped to like make it a nice reintroduction. Yeah. Wow. I mean, congratulations on a sold out show. Thank you. I saw clips of it and you were saying that it was quite emotional for you and I guess everyone performing. And I guess it was, you said it was the first show that a lot of people had been back to. to, So it's just like, everyone's just happy. Everyone's just like, I'm crying. (laughs) Euphoric, like (laughs) emotional climax. Pretty much. (laughs) At the same time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's kind of like that's beautiful you yeah. know because how many times do we all share like the same experience like that together yeah. and everyone's just like lonely aren't they i'm sad but yeah. not but not that day not that day we were very nice we were very good <laughs> but yeah that's amazing and your new song commandments that's beautiful that's so good Thank you. but yeah when i saw your clips like i feel like you have like a nina simone kind of no energy that's sweet I like her. She's feisty. She's, she yeah, no some fucks. of the clips of her when she's just like, I'm going to take a gun. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> you better well, give he, me my money. and pay me. So I, I brought a gun and I shot at him. I, it's it's a shame I didn't sh- kill him. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, wow. like, he owed me money. What, what else do you want? Oh my gosh. No, she's, she's incredible. Like, honestly, she was one of the people that I was listening to when I was like 11 and 12. Yeah. And sitting on my bed, like her and Etta James yeah. and Sam Cooke and Billie Holiday mm. And Stevie Wonder, like, those were, like, I was, like, wow. Like, if I could, like, do anything similar to that. like that's, No, that's crazy that you say that because, like, I saw a clip of you singing and I was, like, vocally, I felt like Nina Simone. And I was, like, mm, I'm going to tell her nice. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, one of the things that, like, when I was thinking about guests for the pod, I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, and I was watching, there's a documentary on BBC Three yeah. called um, Do Black Lives Still Matter? And it was hosted by Sass Killer. Yeah. And... And you popped up. I popped up. And I was like, oh, I know her. <laughs> um, how, what was that experience like to be part of that? I, I don't know. I, I was a very small part of it. I was just like a tiny, tiny smidgen of it. Um, but I think, I don't know. That documentary was kind of touching upon. Now it's been a year mm. since George Floyd. And during that time, all of these, you know, the, basically the music industry 
or maybe that was more so for us because we are immersed in it but they made a lot of promises they made a lot of pledges they did and it's kind of looking at a year on and where we're at do you feel like there's been change do you feel like people have kept i feel like there have been good intentions Mm -hmm. like i feel like charters and targets and you know lists all of that is really important and all of that is is necessary for progress you know you need accountability you need to to say this is what we want to achieve and this is how we're going to do yeah. it it was but, the acknowledgement almost yeah you know that it exists and that's that's an important thing that record labels you know for one do i just think that i mean there's so many things but i think when you're looking at how <laughs> into it all there's just so many things i feel like i should write them down and like check them off um i think i think for me it was really important to be on that program alongside nova twins who are just mm, amazing yeah. you know rock duo because we're artists like at the beginning like to meet mid of our careers that are like on the tipping point of what could be and i think it's important to look at artists like us because we're the ones who have done it without the support of you know the big services and the big labels and the big money and all these these other things and I think if we're not being supported with everything that we've achieved up to this stage by ourselves Mm -hmm. then that probably suggests that there are a lot of other people who are not as adept at writing funding applications and networking and talking and playing shows and getting support slots and stuff like that that aren't being supported at all right so I think in, in terms of that it's really important to look at how myself and Nova Twins and you know Lady Sanity and and artists like us progress over the next year because everybody can everybody can start off a career you know anybody can do it it's an amazing thing it's hard but it's achievable now it's like okay how are you going to make this last how are you going to how are you going to expand your fan base yeah how are you going to reach people outside of the country how are you going to get on a national tour yeah. you know it's that next stage um, so I think in terms of representation, for me, that was a really important moment to be in Saskilla's documentary, also because he's just an incredible person. Yeah. Um, I liked his looks as well. He had like sunglasses. I was like... Gorgeous. He looks good. He looks good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's doing so well. Yeah. As well. I, I think just generally though, with like, with anti-racism, I think it's really easy for people to go, all right, how do we solve racism in the music industry? How do we solve racism in education? Which, you know, how do we solve racism in, um, I don't know, the fashion industry? But like racism doesn't just exist within these these industries. It is a thing that's so pervasive, it is everywhere. So it's like, if we're gonna talk about trying to get um, people that are going to become, you know, black people into positions of head leadership in record labels, then you have to look at racism in education Mm. and go, well, why aren't the black students doing as well as the white ones? what's the disparity there you know then you have to look at university and go what is the bme attainment gap why are black people going in with the same grades as white students and then leaving with worse ones and not being able to get employed so like looking at these issues in silos doesn't really help yeah do you know what i mean you have to connect the dots and i don't feel like there are enough people in these industries who are willing to understand like sure it's great to do a community program in an underfunded area for a month (laughs) but like what's gonna happen in the next two years yeah you know what's gonna happen in three years time if these boys are getting stopped and searched before they get to the studio 
then <laughs> what, yeah. you know what are we doing about policing what are we doing about mental health support what are we doing so about social everything. care it's literally everything. everything we can't just go here's a charter you know here's some we're stats. solving it here's some yeah. stats here's almost equal pay you know like yeah. racism is so so pervasive and serious mm. that 2020 was great because there was this awakening and understanding that it is real but now we have to realize how deep it goes and it needs to go beyond the sort of surface level understanding of we're going to work it out in our area yeah. because it's not just an our, our area thing. It's so much bigger than that. Yeah. And it's also not a marketing thing. Mm. And I, I know one part of the documentary um, was touching upon that as well. And it's just like, I don't know. We're, I feel a little bit disheartened by it a little bit just because I'm like, I think you put it in a positive way. But yeah, I feel like it's the first step but then like we have to keep the energy going like it's mm-hmm. not yeah we did it and then we posted a black square okay a year later okay yeah like we, we're a bit better it's like no you have to do a lot better mm-hmm. it, it's you have to keep going and I think I'm just like in that stage where I'm like oh okay so this is just gonna be for the rest of our lives like yeah. we just have to be doing this forever I would like to see more change happen which is like this is our three five and ten year plan Yep. you know and then like your goals are and then like kind of work backwards like that's how yeah. any goal kind of happens doesn't yeah. it so i don't know how did you feel about blackout tuesday <laughs> i was i was very emotional on that day i, f- yeah. I found it very hard yeah um because I, I spent quite a lot of time like volunteering in communities last last year and you know just from like going and seeing people face to face and understanding like the actual problems and and horrible situations that people have been plunged into due to the pandemic and also understanding that racism is this is this thing that is just on social media and in media just growing and growing and growing and growing on that day to literally see all useful information be covered up by a black square yeah was quite was very difficult yeah you know as somebody who is on that ground on the ground and needs that information yeah you know what about somebody who's attending a protest in philadelphia you know and needs to know what not to say to a police officer it's (laughs) hashtag black lives matter does that you know it saves your life and it can do yeah and to see all of that information covered up for i don't know two days by hundreds of black squares to me is like literal (laughs) like it's 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 a co-option of a movement and it's really hard. And I understand its intention. You know, it started off in the music industry. It was meant to be a pause. It was meant to be a, re- a re-evaluation. But I think what it did show us is how powerful the music industry is. Mm-hmm. And if it can do that and get everybody to post one thing, the same thing on one day, then they can do a hell of a lot more yeah. than what they're doing now. You know, if you talk about power and influence and social capital, you know, yeah, I, I found that. I found it really hard. I wrote a song about it too. Did it's you? coming out. It's coming oh, out soon. Do a little plug. We shot a video last week. <laughs> did you? Because I yeah. saw that you were looking for, um, you did a call out for like activists and video clips yeah. and stuff like that. Is that what that is? That is what it is. Oh. Yes. So do you feel like kind of the activ- activism side of you, like you explained before that it's always been part of your family and your history, mm-hmm. but do you feel like it's going to be kind of, involved in a lot of your music moving forward well I guess yes because you yeah. shot a video 
for it and everything but i mean it always has been like um my first ep was called consider this and it was it's basically just the story of like my family's life and my life like the first song is like acapella and it's me walking down like dalston high road talking about the stores that closed down and the ones that in, in its place yeah like I, I feel like it's so powerful to just document what's happening around you because to us it's really mundane it's just something that happens all the time again and again but in like 50 years when people ask oh what was happening in Mm. 2019 what was happening in 2020 like music does that it's like a literal record like an archive of that moment and I think that I'm black and I'm a woman like and my mum has like Asian ancestry as well like there's no like (laughs) there's no discrimination that I'm not gonna get (laughs) yeah like it's it's just I have to I have to do something and if I can sing about it and inspire people by singing then I'm gonna do it it's easy you know like singing is like as I said like doing a normal job raising a family all that stuff that's hard Mm -hmm. doing art for my job that's not hard yeah you know it's long it's a bit annoying it's a bit you know I don't get a lot of sleep it's really strange but this this isn't hard so I need to be doing some like actual work alongside (laughs) it you know to help life yeah I I agree I mean doing that grind of like you know going to a job and working like a double yeah doing manual work or whatever and something that you don't really care about that's hard Mm. that's grafting yeah that's you know resilience and everything you know like my parents like working doubles getting talked to like shit mm-hmm. being disrespected cleaning like and doing it anyway and coming home and smiling you know, and cooking dinner i'm like yeah i'll 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 dj a party yeah <laughs> can i have some gin yeah <laughs> and like you're gonna pay me and then get me a car pretty right much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much i'm like oh gosh and it's weird like you get more free things but the more you have but you actually don't need it yeah. <laughs> the, the more you have yeah it's like i just yeah i just i just think it's strange this whole thing is strange. I don't actually feel like I'm in it. I feel like I'm watching myself in it. And I think that helps me. <laughs> it does. Um, you were, um, I was reading an article in The Guardian, which you are also part of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I talk a lot. <laughs> no, it's good. Like, we, <laughs> you need to keep talking for the rest of your life. I hope you understand that. Um, uh, Stephanie Phillips wrote it. Yeah. And she was talking about um, the past year I know there was a lot that was happening in June because it was kind of marking the one year mm-hmm. um, anniversary and there were some crazy figures in it about the music industry I'm just gonna like quote a bit of it um, there's still a long way to go however particularly in retaining black talent both on stage and behind the scenes UK music recently released new data about the ethnic backgrounds of people working in the music industry it shows the number of black people in the industry falls from 12.6 at entry level to 6.4 at senior level. Mm. And yeah, if you take a UK perspective, it feels quite good. Um, this is quoting Emma Tewar, uh, chair of UK Music Diversity Task Force. Um, if you take a look at UK perspective, it feels quite good because you can say, well, there's only 14 BAME people across the UK, but actually in London, it's nearly 40%. Mm. And most of the industry works in London. So from a national perspective, it feels good. But from a city perspective, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. That blew my mind. And yeah. then I like did some calculate because I think it's it's important to kind of have like a visual understanding of what that looks like. So mm-hmm. 
in 100 people where that's 40 people are non-white 12 are at entry level and six are at senior level yeah that's so sad it's, it's not good enough but then it's like what what i guess the argument would be like what more like what do we do like diversity hires like because i'm just trying to work it out myself like what what do i expect from the music industry right like what what do mm. what am i asking for for them to do I mean, it's a big question because there there isn't one right answer. There's like loads and loads of things that we need to do. And it's different when you're an artist to when you're um, a music executive, like the paths mm-hmm. are different. And I think what I've heard from speaking with to people is that there are lots of, you know, non-white creatives doing amazing things, but they're brought in as freelancers. Mm-hmm. So they have no job security. They don't have any, you know, sick pay. They come in, they do a project, then they leave. They come in, they do a project, then they leave. They're not hired permanently. Yeah. And because of that, progression is harder. Um, so there's this idea that this talent is creative and important and is driving our campaigns and is making these pop stars and making these um, artists as big as they can be. But actually, we don't want to hire them because it's too expensive. So I think there's this idea that black art is really important and really valuable because it creates money, mm. but paying those people what they deserve and giving them those roles so that they're in control of that is not quite what's happening so yet they, they, want, they want the ideas not give away the power yeah yeah essentially um i mean i think that there's a lot of things to do because if you're thinking about people in in the middle of their careers that are trying to get to the next stage these people have a lot of skills they have a big network they have a lot of skills they've worked you know for 10 15 years in, in doing these different things these companies need to be going, you are an asset mm-hmm. to this to this team. What do you need to do to progress? You know, I think there actually needs to be a, a, an acknowledgement that it exists yeah. and something that goes, if you need training, do you, do, you need, do you need training to do this thing? Cool, we can pay you to do that. Yeah. And then you go do this and then you apply for this job. Yeah. And that's how progression works because, I mean, you know as well as I do, like a lot of this is who you know. Yeah. And I mean, most of it is basically. Yeah. It's a relationship industry. It's a relationship industry, absolutely. And if you don't know the boss's son, or you're not dating the the CEO's mm. niece, who's went to this school, yeah. who then they met at this party because they were high on this drug, and then they went out the next yeah. day for coffee, and then now you met the CEO. Like, oh, it's just when you're in the industry, and then you kind of like someone tells you like how someone knows each other, then you're like, yeah, oh okay yeah <laughs> i get it <laughs> yeah 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 and i think also that that's a culture that is that is not necessarily one that i mean that that's not that's not what i grew up doing you know that that's not what caribbean kids really grow they we don't we don't grow up in that environment mm-hmm. so that's completely new to us so even if i was in those spaces that's not something that i would be a part of yeah because it's just not what you know it's not my idea of fun it's not yeah like a it's 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 a cultural thing mm-hmm. you know so yeah there's a lot but i mean the program that i'm on at the moment called power up um which is you know run by the prs foundation yeah who are generally an amazing funder of new talent everybody that is successful i mean most people do well because they get grants from them yeah um i know prs have been quite good with grants during the past yeah prs foundation yeah, yeah definitely um, but that's what they're trying to do. So they're giving executives and artists like mm-hmm. me, but let's talk about execs, um, you know, money so that they can go and tr- do the training. Yeah. They can go and start their business. They can get seed funding for their ideas so they can create their own con- creative consultancies yeah. and then can charge what they need to charge. Yeah. You know, it, it's about empowering people 
so that they have the resources that the others already have from birth because of their families and because of their network. You know, it's, it's about trying to level that. And often it takes money to level Mm -hmm. that. It takes investment, it takes time and it takes money and resources. Mm -hmm. And if your company isn't willing to do any of those things for you, then you're not going to progress no matter who you are. Yeah. You know, if your boss doesn't see potential in you because of the way you look or because of the way you speak or because of the, the place you come from, then you're not going to progress fundamentally, mm-hmm. you know? So there are so many issues that we need to start addressing when you talk about that. Yeah. I can listen to you talk about this all day, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't. I get bored <laughs> of myself. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like those figures were crazy. Mm. But then like, it's just like, why does it take amazing foundation? Why does it take, do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, why does it take money that is t- comes in forms of a grant or mm-hmm. charities or like, why does it have to be like that? But I guess like we're, we we have to start somewhere. Again, like you said, like I applied for a grant and like it, it takes mm. a lot of, it's really hard. It's really hard. And you need to have certain skills to do it. Yeah. You know, you, know, you need to be able to plan and budget and you need to get references from people that look impressive on paper. Mm-hmm. It, it's really, really hard. It's basically like persuasive essay at degree level. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially is what it is. It's not easy. It's it's hard being an independent artist. It's especially not being able to tour as well. Yeah. It's like how do you how do you grow a fan base in a, in a time where like you can't really meet actual people and like so much about me is like being personable and being there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I mean I can talk on Instagram but like babe after like 10 minutes I'm bored yeah. so you're bored. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I saw you spoke on a panel at UCL. That's where yeah. you went to uni, right? Yes. Um and you led a campaign while you were studying? Yeah, in my final year. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Activisming. Activisming. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that like I go into spaces and I'm like, oh, I'm going to like be an activist. It's just like yeah. this, it's, this isn't right. Yeah. You know, you know, it's not right. I know it's not right. Like, yeah. what are you going to do about it? And it's like, well, we can't do anything. And I'm like, well, okay, I need to do something. Mm. <laughs> I've got six months now. Yeah. Let's do something. And I, th- I think just like being proactive and asking questions and asking the difficult questions is what leads to me doing all these things. What was it? Yeah. So I, um, in my final year of UCL, led a decolonize the curriculum campaign. And the idea with decolonize the curriculum it's it's really really broad but for me I studied anthropology mm-hmm. and anthropology is, is basically the study of humankind um so there are lots of different aspects you can like look at bones um and like the physiology of what it means to be a human um you can look at culture um you know religions ways of life travel you can look at Um, social anthropology which is more about like our relationships with each other a bit more sociological in that in that sense or you can look at medicine you know Mm -hmm. like in different places um if you have the same condition you can be diagnosed with schizophrenia in one country and depression in the other country and both of them have different means of treating you wow you know so it's like it's trying to understand how difference in the world manifests yeah and what that leads to But the thing is, is that it was founded during colonialism, Mm. you know, so it's white settlers going to different places in the world, but mainly South America, Africa and the Americas and going, essentially, these people are savages, we need to civilise them and we're going to write up 
all of these things about why they're <laughs> but why they're uneducated why their their cultural practices don't um match up to ours in the west um why they're eating this food and and then eventually use it to justify the idea that white people are superior mm. to everybody else and that's how it was used in the slave trade and everything and colonialism and just everything since then so it's grounded in racism it's grounded in racism and sexism fundamentally as a as a as, a, as a field yeah right you know so you can't really escape that um and so i come from hackney really diverse really like nice you know yeah. working class middle class place ch um chill most of the time and i literally moved i don't know how many miles it was like not not many <laughs> And I was like, wow, I'm in like a whole different world. What, within Hackney? No. Oh. So UCL campus is like by Euston. Oh, okay. So I was living in like West London, yeah, Central yeah. London. Yeah. And like the people that I were around were completely different. And it's not to say they were any better or worse. They were just very different, you know, mm -hmm. very wealthy, very white. Um, went on their gap years to India, yeah. Yeah. to, I don't know, Korea, to, to Cuba. I'm like, oh my god, I love the food. Yeah, taste like, of culture. Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna be Buddhist now. <laughs> like, why are you doing that in an American <laughs> this accent? Is like, this is what it's like. <laughs> this is like this is what university is like. Yeah. Um and that's the only accent I can do also. That's okay, I'm it. Offended. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I mean I mean twenty twenty hadn't happened, so there's no general understanding of what racism is, what cultural appropriation is, what you know gaslighting is what any of these terms that we've like come to yeah. to learn and this become part of our vocabulary even white supremacy now like you can like, say that within pop culture yeah it's yeah it's crazy it's it's a new thing you can say these things and people are like oh i i, I kind of know what you're talking about yeah yeah but that wasn't the case like four years ago no it exactly just, i'm so i'm on these course with these people who are you know generally lovely nice people they just don't understand the world in the same way that i understand it because we have different lived experiences yeah. Um, and in the first year, I was like, cool. So here doing this, you know, university thing, it's going to be fine. And maybe like three months into the course, I'm thinking, well, nobody's mentioned like colonialism yet. Yeah. Well, nobody's mentioned like how all of these, you know, these people that are studying and they're the holding, holding them up as like the greatest philosophers ever, yeah. like wouldn't have seen me as human. Like, isn't that kind of strange? Mm. You know, this is a huge part of our discipline. Like, you can't just ignore it. Yeah. So in the first year, I I raised it for a few people. And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is the space I want to be in. Like, I don't know if I, I want to do this university thing. Like, yeah. how can I come to a, a place where... And then you're paying to learn about I'm paying to learn about inaccurate history. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a sham. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's like I've come to a place to learn about other cultures, yeah, from the perspective of other cultures. And all my lectures are white and European, so I'm not getting to learn You're about other cultures one through their cultures. Yeah. Nor am I being able to do that through the reading list because they're all white European, mostly old and dead men mm. who were racist and sexist, mm -hmm. and wouldn't have even dreamed of a person like me coming on to that course can because imagine? can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> rolling rolling over in their grave imagine <laughs> oh my gosh they wouldn't even have, have even dreamed that so it was in um my final year because i was like a student rep i was like cool i'm gonna go into you know the meeting and i think somebody said all right what like what things have you observed and stuff and i was like well i've been doing these courses for like two and a half years now 
and you know the issues with like representation are just really really bad yeah like we need to do something about it it's it's not good enough and essentially I was basically told like well other people have tried to do that it's really hard and it's not going to work and um maybe you should write like like a white paper about your experiences on like racism send like, a complaint to <laughs> do you know what I mean I was like send a complaint to HR please yeah like, oh my god mm. no I no. want to fuck shit up <laughs> no yeah so it was actually really like isolating and like emotional Mm -hmm. because you're looking at like just white lecturers and white students around you and you're going like nobody understands how much of a problem this is and if they do they don't care yeah and that's a really big problem not just for me as a student of like of color but for the discipline and for everybody that's coming onto this course and and believing that they're being taught correct correctly um so i i don't really and yeah, I I just do what I want. So I was like, okay, right, white paper. Okay, whatever. So I basically formed a white team. <laughs> I basically formed a team of like five students. I went and I spoke to every member of staff. I wow. spoke to like the, you know, like the liberation networks, like LGBT, like black students network and staff. I spoke to different universities and like decolonization um, societies. And, and I came back with like 26 page report on how wow. the issues of diversity in the curriculum were impacting like students mental health like future intake diversity the bme attainment gap mm. like literally everything they needed to see to justify that this was a problem and that it could be solved i gave it to them because i think when you get to that level it's all about like they want information presented in a way where they can see it as valid mm. And it's not like the information doesn't exist. It's a very real thing. It's like, it's not in my head. Yeah. It's not some abstraction. But they abstraction. don't want to face it. Like, exactly. if you give them facts and, like, receipts, they're like, oh. Oh, yeah. Because it, it, that's, like, the epitome of privilege. Like, if they don't see it, mm-hmm. then they don't need to address it. Absolutely. Or understand it. Like, th- yeah. Yeah. So we did that. and um, <laughs> 26 white pages. <laughs> 26 white pages, bitch. We did it. Um, wow. So we, yeah, we did that. And it, it was a really important um, thing for, for me to do at, at the time because it just gave like students a space mm. to address it. I was like, I was everywhere. I was everywhere. I was in every meeting. Like all of the lecturers knew me. Some of them did not like me evidently there's, there's a hierarchy even in institutions like that you know mm-hmm. the the lecturers who weren't a senior were more liberal were more understanding yeah. were younger <laughs> do you know what i mean they they got it but they can't go against their boss unless yeah there's a, a senior member of staff that's willing to support them mm. because they're also on precarious contracts you know yeah everybody has their own issues that they're dealing with so being in that space and doing that was was really really important and then after i graduated i went back and supported the next year the year below me to, to like do the similar thing we did like loads of presentations at like education conferences and stuff like that um and we changed the reading list so that they were more diverse and i think it was the year after that like the students developed their own their own course it was so it was so amazing i was so proud of them wow. it's called decolonizing anthropology and it's it literally has all of the all of the content and all of the critical thinking that is necessary for that and it's just really important for there to be a space you know for there to be for there to be a space for students to question what they're learning and there wasn't that before um and doing that and also like changing the reading list of like the core courses which basically said the 
racism, slavery, misogyny, and everything else did not exist or take place. <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> cool. <laughs> has been changed too. So yeah. it's it's really important and it really opened like a dialogue within UCL That's about amazing. what it means to represent people and what it means to be inclusive and what it means to, you know, incorporate different voices into your learning. Because if, yeah. a, if a subject like anthropology, which is literally studying other cultures, cannot face the fact... I thought fact... it was about dinosaurs. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> not about dinosaurs, not people. <laughs> I studied art. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But if a subject like anthropology, which is studying yeah. other cultures, can't acknowledge to itself that it needs to do better so that we're actually studying the cultures the tr- yeah. you know the, the the real history like and culture yeah, yeah of these people from these people from these communities then every other subject is i don't know is in the uphill battle because yeah. this is the this is the space that that allows for that conversation mm-hmm. and yeah it was important it was really important that we started there but yeah i spoke on a panel the other day about it but it was good oh my god you should be a teacher you know i thought about that but I, I can't take, you know, crap from kids. <laughs> I can't do it. That's fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, you, sh- you should do like lecturing and stuff. Nah, I'll stick with the music and the singing. <laughs> Told you it's easier. Um, you wrote on your website. This is I did? Like the fi- well, okay, on your website. Okay. It says, yeah. <laughs> um, as an artist, I feel a responsibility to document and reflect my era. Yeah. Do you know this? Yeah, yes, okay. I just haven't looked in a while. <laughs> and my and use my music to inspire. In this time, it means all the more. I'm learning that moments of uncertainty are almost... Sorry, my reading. <laughs> okay, also okay, moments of inspiration. I like to imagine myself on a stoop in the Caribbean at 80, um, telling my grandchildren about the year 2020. Um, it reminds me, however, however much we sacrifice now, we will overcome. It's okay to feel overwhelmed as long as we take steps to turn apathy into action. Black Lives Matter. So what would you tell your grandparents about 2020? Mm. Oh, grandchildren. Sorry. Gra- I'm to tell my grandchildren about 2020. Yeah. Well, I can tell you what I'd, I'd hope. I, yeah. I'd like to be able to tell my grandchildren. I'd like to be able to tell my grandchildren that 2020 was a year where racism began to be understood in its depth mm-hmm. um i'd like to tell my grandchildren that 2020 was a year where corporations were able to acknowledge their role in upholding racism um and take you know fundamental stop steps to help dismantle it i'd like to tell my grandchildren that education was right at the beginning of being made representative and that history was beginning to be taught correctly for the first time in the last few hundred years. <laughs> um, I'd like to tell my grandchildren that it was a time where so many people across the world, no matter their circumstance, were able to connect because of social media and were able to push for equality and change in a way that the world had never seen before, I think. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. No, thank you for having me. Where can people find you? Everywhere. On the internet at uh, Amala Music. A-M-A-H-L-A. Music. Everywhere. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much to Amala as well, who is just the absolute cutest and crazily inspiring. I'll be back next week. So make sure you subscribe, follow and rate the show to keep posted on new episodes. And it also helps me out quite a bit too. You can also get in touch with me at don't call me exotic pod and at O-N-E-O on Instagram. Oh, and make sure you don't call people exotic. Bye.